everyone, this is episode 715 of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast for the week of Friday, April 10th, 2020. I'm your host, Mark Nez, and today it's going to be a shorter show. Much shorter than last week's show, that's for sure, because I don't have an extra half hour of me talking with my friend to tack on to the end of the show, so if nothing else, it'll at least be under an hour. Uh, I can't believe... We ended up going on that long, just kind of bullshitting, and it it led to a very long show, but I think it was a good show. I think it was a nice little change of pace after 700 plus episodes of just me talking by myself, but don't expect that every week, okay? Don't expect that. If you want that, you're going to have to listen to my new anime podcast, which should be hopefully launching This Monday, we recorded the first episode earlier in the week. It ended up going way longer than I was expecting. I thought that we'd probably end up at around an hour or so, but it ended up coming in at maybe a little over an hour and 45 minutes. And I don't think that's going to be the norm. The extra length of the first episode uh, is really attributed to the fact that In addition to just talking about anime, what we're currently watching and focusing on Snafu Seasons 1 and 2 and the disappointment but understanding of the delay of Season 3, we started the show with our introductions, both in terms of how we rate shows, what a 10 means to us, what a 9 means to us, etc. And we went through every single number. Me, more so, because I actually have shows rated 10 to 1. And he doesn't have anything under a four, I believe. And then we also talked about our top five anime of all time. And he ranked his. So he had them in order, one, two, three, four, five. And I was just like, these are my five favorite anime. On any given day, one could be my favorite uh, and so on. And then we transitioned to talking about the main topic. But before, it, it was not really structured. And I don't know how structured the show will be from now until forever uh we may have a particular series we focus on for an episode and then just continue or or in addition to that talk about what we're watching seasonally like the latest episode what we thought of it uh maybe have some topics like focusing on dubs versus subs for an episode or or what have you but We had a really good time recording the first episode, and I hope people really enjoy listening to it when it comes out this Monday, hopefully. The regular scheduled release date for the anime podcast, which is called, I want to spoil it here, it's called Unamazingly Baka. Unamazingly Baka. The Amazingly Stupid Podcast, where a couple of friends talk about anime. Don't you don't you like it? It's a very good title, good name for a show that has me in it. Amazingly stupid. Um, so yeah, I, I've had that title, that name in my head for years now. Uh, having wanted to do this podcast for a while, and I even had the logo and everything. The logo is nothing special. It's just the title in the name. <laughs> Yeah, it's the title in the name. I keep wanting to call it the title, but then I'm like, no, name sounds better. But it's just the name in the Naruto font, I believe. Uh, white on black uh, background. And yeah, very simple, but it's it's easy to read from any size. And I think it, it does look good despite its simplicity. And yeah, I'm excited about that. And I want to release it on Mondays because I'm stupid, as you already know. And I want to release Unamazingly Baka on a Monday. Get it? Unamazingly Baka on a May Monday. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm so clever and smart. Um, but yeah, excited for people to hear it. And I do want to put it on YouTube at some point in some form. Uh, but I, I've been messing around with this site. I forget what it's called. If It's like... It's not musicvid.org or something, but it's a site that allows you to take audio and create an 
audio visualizer for it. So you can put the logo. I mean, there are, there are various visualizers for audio on there. I think maybe like 10 or so. And it allows you, the one I'm looking at, allows you to put like, say the, the logo, the disc art or whatever uh, there in the middle. So that'll stand out. And then you can do your own background image. And my plan would be to put the focus of whatever the episode is as the background image. So for the first episode, I'd have a, a picture of Snafu in the background. And then it has like a little thing behind where the logo is that is reactive to the audio. So I think that would be a fun little way to make the YouTube video a little more engaging than just a static image with our audio. But that's not important because the one minute and 30 second sample audio I used to just try it out ended up turning into, I think, 145 megabytes or something along those lines. And so taking that and using math to guess what the file size would be for something an hour and 45 minutes makes me very hesitant to use this because there is a desktop client, but I'm not sure. I mess around with it a little, but I'm not sure if it's an actual desktop client or just something that is like a way to use the web interface without opening up a browser. Uh, so I'm not sure how exactly that will work because the way it works if you're doing off the web is that you put the audio in there, you, you set up the thing as you want it to look and then you wait for it to be converted, created, etc., and then you can download it and then uh, you can then upload it to YouTube, of course. And for just a minute and a half, one, it's a large file, so that will take time to download, uh, but not a horrible time. But more so, it took a while for it to convert the minute and a half to the, the video file. And there's a potential with a longer thing that it might end up stopping, maybe gets corrupt. I, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a work in progress on that side of things, but I'd like to do something that makes it a little bit more engaging, interesting for people who watch on YouTube, even though I think people who watch on YouTube don't really watch. They just use YouTube because it's easier or something like that. I don't know. But um, yeah, that is the plan with Amazingly Baka releasing on a Monday. <laughs> and I'm very, very excited about it. Hopefully episodes coming after this will be shorter because I do think that an hour and 45 minutes is pretty daunting for anyone especially anyone dealing with me for that long having to listen to me for such a long period of time but you know we'll see how it goes anywho in addition to that before i talk about what i've been playing and what i've been playing includes resident evil 3 convoy a tactical roguelike good goliath uh, save your nuts titan quest atlantis and uh, apex legends a little bit of that the PlayStation 5, the PlayStation 5, Sony revealed the controller for the PlayStation 5, which is no longer a dual shock. It is now a dual sense. And I really like the way it looks, both in terms of its size and the way it changes ergonomically uh, and, and the look of it. I do like the two-tone nature, which a lot of people don't like. So it is mostly white with like a black not exactly black but like a very dark gray underbelly essentially and a lot of people don't like this i like it what it does make me wonder or, or, or think about is what the playstation 5 will look like because it, it's definitely going to be a mostly white console but will it be two-tone like the controller will it look maybe the playstation 5 will just look exactly like the xbox one s and that would be fine because i think probably the xbox one s is my favorite console of all time in terms of just the way it looks gamecube is a strong contender i love the, the look of the gamecube but i'm trying to think of consoles that are just really sleek and nice because i'm i'm someone who likes simplicity i don't like things being really curvy or overly designed in this way or that way there's nostalgia with the nes and the 
Sega Genesis, the the original Sega Genesis model, and then the original NES model, just because that's what I had, and I, I like them. I, and I think there's something very nice and clean about the NES in particular, uh, and ignoring, of course, handheld consoles that are their own bag. But um, I, I really like the look of the controller. I like that it looks chunkier because... The DualShock 4 was a step in the right direction over the DualShock 3 and all the previous ones, which were basically the same thing. But it still is a little bit small. It's pretty light, which I don't like. And yeah, I, I just wasn't a fan. And I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be a fan of this because I do like the off offset sticks of the Xbox controllers, which aren't there with the PlayStation controller, which makes sense. It's something that differentiates it, and, and people who play on PlayStation do like that. But um, some of the new things they've added, one, they removed the light sensor on the back of the controller, which is good for battery life, but then puts out questions as to whether, not whether, uh, the PlayStation 5 will support PlayStation VR, we know that, but... How will the new PlayStation VR work? And will this work with the current system or with the, the current headset? Will you need to play with the DualShock 4, which assumingly you would have? Uh, who really knows? Because there's stuff that you, you need that light sensor for in terms of tracking, uh, like an Astrobot. But um, that's an interesting thing. There are light lines on where the touchpad is because the touchpad is still there. Um and then there's haptic feedback in the triggers, which is fine. Um, and like haptic feedback in, I think maybe the controller grips too. I, I don't know. Uh, it, it was compared to the stuff in the switch controllers, like when you use and want to switch, uh, trying to figure out how many balls were in the controller or whatever. And that's kind of interesting, but I look at that stuff uh, like with one, two switch and whatever, and it seems like more of a novelty than something that would add substantial functionality or, or features to a game that make the overall experience better. Like I think one of the examples was feeling the tension when pulling back a bow to me. I don't know if that would really do anything for me because I think about what, they do on Xbox One. I don't know if other games do anything, but I know it's in the Forza games that when you press the gas or whatever, and I guess how much you press it, you'll get more feedback in the triggers. I have never once noticed that. So if it's doing it in all of the Forza games, I've never noticed it. It impacts me absolutely 0%. So that aspect of the controller does nothing for me right now. But who knows, maybe they'll think of creative ways to do it. But I mean, if only a handful of games use it to any kind of significant way, then it's just like, okay, is this just something that adds to the cost of the controller and then doesn't really give you back a return on that extra cost? There is a built-in microphone, which a lot of people seemed high on, but I am someone who looks at that and just thinks, oh God, now I'm going to have to hear more awful shit when playing games online. Though I don't play games online on PlayStation, so I don't have to worry about that. But you're going to have to hear more awful shit probably. People forgetting that it's turned on if there's not an easy way to turn it off. So you just hear a bunch of background noise and, and potentially a lot of echoing, which will be annoying. And the audio quality is still something that we have no idea about. I believe they did say that you should still use a headset, but you know it's here. If you don't have a headset, you know, if you want to talk and this is the only option, then you have it. And a lot of people will say something is better than nothing, but I think in some cases nothing is better than something. And until I experience for myself and how it sounds listening to somebody who's using it and how it is using it myself, I am in the camp that nothing would be better than something in this case. And then the share button has been changed into a create button. And this is a thing where I know, I don't know that I'm in the minority, but I know a lot of people like photo modes and games and stuff like that. But for that particular button, I think it just makes more sense for it to be a very simplistic share button where you can just take a clip or a screenshot and then you can share it as is 
But with the change to calling it a create button, it makes me think that it's going to put you into some kind of studio akin to Instagram or crap like that, where then you can now add filters and maybe add effects and stickers and all this other kind of crap to make the image truly your own and not just a screenshot of the game. And for me, if I see something or experience something really cool that I want to share with people from a game, I don't want to do something that changes what I saw, what I experienced to, I don't know, get a laugh or do like, that's just not my mentality. Anyways, I'm not an Instagrammer and stuff like that. So I don't think about those things or, or using these filters or what have you. Uh, the only thing that would be cool is if it is something that allows you to create gifts really easily because gifts are nice. I like creating gifts, but gifts aren't always the easiest thing to do. Um, so that, that would be nice. But outside of that, I don't think anything else really to note of it. It, it will have, I guess, better battery life. I think they mentioned the battery life being something that they looked into and the fact that the light bar is gone will definitely help in that but they didn't say any numbers specifically so who knows how much better the battery life is if it's maybe just a few hours um that won't be the best but really anything's better than nothing in that case for the the controller because the battery life on the dualshock 4 is absolute dog shit and one of the worst things about it and people who hate on double a batteries i Listening to the MinMax show a few episodes ago, and I think it was Jeff Markifava saying this, uh, uh, and maybe other ones were saying it too or disagreeing, but they were saying that people are just too stupid or lazy to get rechargeable batteries or the battery pack, and I, I don't understand. I don't understand anyone like... If there are people out there who have an Xbox One controller and keep buying disposable AA batteries, what is wrong with you? Who are you? Why are you the way? Like, It is so easy to just buy a few rechargeable AA batteries and a charger, and then you're set forever. When your controller dies, you take off the back cover, take out the dead ones, put in the fresh ones, and then you charge up the other ones when you're done gaming. You don't have to step away for that. It's very quick, very fast. You don't have to then tether yourself to the system so that it charges while you're playing uh, after it dies, like with you, like what you do on the PlayStation or the Nintendo thing. So, what? Why is it such a problem? What is so difficult about buying rechargeable batteries and then being set for a very, very long time? And guess what? When the batteries finally die, those rechargeable ones you bought. You just get new ones. You don't have to replace the controller. And, and that is something that I guess people are like, whatever, it's a $60 controller, who cares? But if you do end up buying a premium controller like the Elite, I think it, it's even better to have uh, something that can be replaced uh, forever so that you can have that controller forever when you pay so much for it. Of course, you can also say that, well, it doesn't matter because by the time the battery dies in the Elite version 2 or something that there'll be so much wear and tear to the 6 or whatever that you'll have drifting or some other issue with it that you'll just want to get a new controller anyway. But I don't care. Um, I, I would much rather just have that future proof that I don't have to worry about the battery eventually just croaking on me. But the the DualSense looks good. Looks like it probably feels better and I can't wait to get my hands on it. When I'll get my hands on it, I don't know because I am... in no rush to pick up a PlayStation 5 and probably won't get a PlayStation 5 for a very long time post-launch unless I can't think of a game that could come out exclusive for PlayStation that would get me to buy a PlayStation outside of, I don't know, I guess, unless it also comes to Switch, uh, a new Persona game, even though I was disappointed by Persona 5, I adore the first two or the I adore Persona 3 and 4 and if I am forced to buy a PlayStation 5 to play Persona 6 I'll probably just give in but hopefully Microsoft and Xbox will have done a good job to make the Xbox Series X on more of an equal ground with the PlayStation that Atlas says hey 
we're going to put this on everything because you know what? People like Persona. It's, it's a big series for us. We shouldn't prevent a certain subset of the industry of the, of the gaming community from playing our game or forcing them to buy an additional console. Let's just allow everyone to get it. And then you just see the scales, the scales. You, know, you see the scale skyrocket and scale bound. Persona 6 scale bound. Yeah. Anywho, that is a dual sense, which is cool. I, I like the look of it. And yeah, I'm, I'm just very curious to see what the console looks like now at this point. That is the, the one big thing left before finding out the price, I would guess. Of course, there are games and all that. But outside of seeing what PlayStation 5 actually looks like, there's the price and then the games, whatever they are, whenever these things release. I don't know if I mentioned last episode because I don't remember when it came out, but on the most recent episode of Podcasts Unlocked, they had Phil Spencer on as a guest, and he felt pretty confident that they would be able to get the console out this year. There could be games, of course, that are delayed and all that kind of jazz for various reasons, obviously, but in terms of the Series X coming out, he seemed pretty confident, you know, he's not going to say for sure because you still we have no idea what's going to happen with COVID-19 and, and everything, but his confidence was it made me feel good because I just I don't I want to get that Series X. And I want to get that Series X and I don't know when the Minecraft ray tracing thing will come out. I want to play that. I just like I am so excited to play Minecraft now because of that ray tracing demo. But um another thing that came out from that interview that was really great to hear because it's something that I was pretty confident about for a while but all these people in the industry on sites like IGN or wherever um, felt instead that the the Series X would probably cost $600. Um, Phil Spencer said something along the lines like we have the support of Microsoft and, and everyone at the company to be aggressive and agile in terms of pricing the console and competing with, you know, PlayStation and all that jazz. So it seems to me like the Series X will absolutely in no way be more expensive than the PlayStation 5. If that means they're the same, they're the same. If that means the Series X is somehow cheaper, which would be insane, then it's cheaper. But I, I would assume that it'll be the exact same. So if the PlayStation 5 comes in at 500 the Series X will be 500 If the PlayStation 5 is 450 then the Series X will be 450 That is my assumption. I don't know. Because I think for them, the console itself, they will take a loss on it, even if it's a significant loss, and they will make their money back through software, through subscriptions, and through SSDs. Because I'm assuming the SSD, I think I've mentioned this before, I'm assuming it'll be uh, 150 to 180 but it could be more than that. And yeah, people are going to need space with these huge games and you get them in the door with a nice cheap console. And then you're like, Hey, keep buying these memory cards. Uh, they're uh, 150, $200 a piece Buy three of them. You've already paid for more than a console. You paid for a console and a half. Say the, the series X costs $400 and that's a fucking memory. See that that's the problem. The cheaper the Series X is, the cheaper the external storage has to be. Because it just would, like, if you're looking at it, you're like, well, this is, because I'm pretty sure the memory card thing is the exact same speed and all that as the onboarded SSD. So if it's essentially the same thing that's in the system, but I think it's, you know, a little bit different because it's a standalone thing. It has cooling stuff built into it or whatever. I don't know shit about hardware. But if that alone, the storage costs half the, the console, then you look at it and you're like, why is this so expensive? Is the, is the actual rest of the console only worth $200? So the cheaper the console is, I think it, it makes the cost of memory uh have to be cheaper because you just you can't then not have that comparison of being okay this is how much a memory card is compared to the cost of the console that is crazy but um yeah i'm excited to see more details get more details about 
next gen and and what have you. Of course, we're going to be getting more delays, which will not be fun, but it's just something that is unavoidable at this point. Anyway, getting on to what I've been playing and ending this show, I thought it was going to be short, but it's it's still going to be shorter than last week, but it's already going longer than expected. Anywho, so I played Resident Evil 3 and I beat it and then I beat it again. So I beat it twice so far. It is a short game. It is shorter than Resident Evil 2, but having paid my own money to buy it on day one, which I don't usually do at all, I really, really enjoyed it. It took me, I think my clear time was four and a half hours for my first playthrough with a playtime of five and a half hours, which I think includes like cutscenes and all that kind of crap. And then I think my second playthrough was three hours or so. And I did a second three, uh, second playthrough to get some of the challenges completed because the way challenges work in this, or the way the shop works and how you unlock infinite ammo weapons and other bonuses is by completing challenges that give you currency that you can use in the shop to unlock different outfits, coins that will buff your damage, your health, uh, health regen, and then infinite ammo weapons. There are three in the game, an infinite ammo rocket launcher, assault rifle, and a pistol. And then there are additional weapons you can get that aren't um, infinite ammo but, I mean, the, there's a, a knife as well, which I think is infinite or, like, you know, it's not breakable or anything, which is, like, a, a heated blade. But I haven't gotten that because I, I want to focus now on getting the coins because those are very important for the higher difficulties. But the the challenges, too, are just, like, kill this many number of zombies, kill this many number of zombies with this weapon or, or that weapon, or complete the game with this rank on this difficulty. Some are more fun in some ways like shoot this number of hats off of zombies and stuff like that but um it's very easy to get some of these you can farm for some of them and there's some very good farming spots if you want to get the kills challenges done quickly and get both the kills with a pistol with an assault rifle and just kills in general done quickly I highly recommend a section where you play as Carlos and you are holding off a horde of zombies from getting to uh, the room with Jill in it. Um, Is it Jill? It's Jill, right? Not Claire. I'm getting all kind of confused with all these people's dumbass names. Yeah, Jill Valentine, the master of unlocking. Anywho, so I I played through the game and and finished it twice. I really like it. It is not as good as Resident Evil 2 or Resident Evil 1. It is a different game. Those first two games are more like haunted houses, and this is like a roller coaster ride. It is much more linear. It moves at a very quick pace. The pacing is crazy. You are constantly moving forward. You hardly have have, have any time to breathe, and... That is probably going to turn some people off, but I really enjoyed it. It's a it's a nice change of pace from the first two games. I the more I think about it, I do prefer the backtracking that is attributed with those two games, the Resident Evil Two and One. And I I still think that Resident Evil One is my favorite of the bunch because overall the environments and the story were more interesting to me. And it's crazy to me to say that because you know that game is still with tank controls and all that jazz. Uh, but I, I really, really like that game. And I love Resident Evil 2, and I really, really like Resident Evil 3. The, it's definitely more action-heavy. You do a lot of shooting in it. There's not so much exploration, uh, and Nemesis is scarier in the beginning when there are sections where you can run into them, but after the first hour and a half, two hours... It becomes much more linear every time you interact with him where it's just more of a set piece. It's a very set piece heavy game and often you just are running forward and avoiding him doing this or that and then you'll have a little boss encounter where you think he killed him but of course you didn't because it's too early on in the game. And the evolution of Nemesis over time and how he changes physically is very cool. I love his second to last design I believe it was that just looked very like it was more animalistic 
than the the humanoid form he has early on and i thought it looked really cool uh, I, I mean the game looks incredible still just like the, the re engine is a, an amazing engine i love it so much i can't wait to see what they do with it with next gen hardware and i played on xbox one x didn't notice really any performance issues of course i'm playing on a, a 1080p tv so i don't know if it, it knows not to do anything like I, I i'm assuming that it knows that my resolution can't do 4k so it's doing 1080p and because of that then the the frame rate isn't uh hindered by all that but i could be wrong in that sense but um i'm also in the camp that thinks carlos's redesign is a vast a huge improvement over the original look i i, I saw like both his original look skin in in the reimagining i don't want to call it a remake because i don't even think they call it a remake i think they call it a reimagining in their own description of the game but the the bonus model you got for pre-ordering him i don't like the look of that i saw his look in the original resident Evil 3 and and for context i never played the original game so i went into this fresh i, I know that people have said that it's pretty much a completely different game which is why i'd say it's a reimagining and not a remake uh, but that doesn't bother me because I don't have that history with the game to fall back on. But uh, I, I looked at some images and I think Carlos looked pretty stupid. And I really like the way he looks. I, I like the story. I, I like both Carlos and Jill as characters. I think Jill's a cool character. I mean, she's in two of the best Resident Evil games. I mean, she was the star of the first one. The best one. You know, there's... The guy, of course, but he sucks. He has two less inventory slots, and he doesn't have a lockpick with him on all times. He's a poopy head. Oh, I got a lighter. Whoop-de-doo. But I think that's only in the, the remake where he has a lighter because you don't really... Do you even need a lighter in the original version where you're not burning corpses? I don't know. But um, Resident Evil 3, really fun. It is pretty linear, which I think that is more of a turnoff than the length for some people, or that should be the thing that makes people pause if you don't like that if you like the more exploration based aspects of the earlier resident evil games you know finding keys for rooms and then unlocking these rooms and then discovering new things that you can use to unlock other areas and and so on that metroidvania-esque aspect of it if that's something that really appeals to you then you're not going to get any of that in resident evil 3 there's not a single puzzle in the game i don't i can't remember a, a single puzzle or any time that i had to do anything of that sort but i could be wrong maybe there's like a thing where you can put in gemstones to get an item but that's not really a puzzle i think there are a few safes so you find notes in the environment and then you can open a safe that's not I guess that's the closest thing to a puzzle that I can think of off the top of my head. There are some scary elements. Like, as, as action-heavy as it is, there are scary, uh, scary elements in it. Particularly early on, there's a section where you have to re-turn on the power for the, the train station, the subway station, so that you can move the train again. And you have to go to the, whatever, electric company thing and turn everything back on. And it has been infested by these spider-like creatures. And when you first enter there, you get a little cutscene of one of them grabbing onto your face, sticking a tendril or something down your throat, and pumping something in you. And then it's like, oh my god, you, you feel sick, there are parasites in you. And you read a note just before entering there that's like, oh, I felt really, really bad, but then I ate one of these green herbs, and it made me puke and I felt way better. So if they put this stuff in you, you have to eat a, a herb in order to throw up what they just put in you. And what they put in you is a bunch of their babies. And I guess based on what I heard from another podcast that made me very, very not want to play this game was that eventually if you don't heal yourself, the babies will burst out of you and then eat you and i didn't want to see that but that that was a scary section because it's dark the little spider things often will end up crawling on the ceiling and they will move very fast and they're just as someone who doesn't like spiders i didn't like that section but um yeah for the most part it's not a, a 
very scary game, but it's very fun and I like the world and it's it's crazy because I said, you know what, I'm going to play Return of the Overdin after this. But after playing Resident Evil 3, my immediate thought after playing it again, because I, I was playing it again and unlocking challenges and all that so that I could unlock the infinite ammo weapon so I could get my dad to play it because he would definitely need that in order to give it a proper go. I realized that I just, I love the Resident Evil series. Now with 1, 2, and 3 under my belt and, and 5 way in the, the past, I really love this series and now I want to play the rest of it now that I have 3 and gotten that out of the way for now. I, I'd like to revisit the original at some point. I'd like to do that with all of the games or at least 1, 2, and 3. But I want to transition him to probably Resident Evil Zero. I think that's where the next game would be in, in terms of the the timeline playthroughs I've read that it makes sense to play Resident Evil Zero, even though Resident Evil Zero is, I think, before all the games, but it has things that you will appreciate if you played through the first three games. But of course, the stuff that you might appreciate maybe probably isn't in the remakes these are reimagining so i don't know but even so i'd like to probably start with that or 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 transition move on to that one next and then code veronica then resident evil 4 then 5 replay 5 then do 6 and 7 and be ready for 8 when that comes out who knows a year or two not a year or two i would i would assume resident evil 8 would be, I mean, I, I guess I could see Resident Evil 8 coming out fall of 2021, but of course, with COVID 19 and all that, who knows how that will impact everything because that's just going to have a ripple effect uh, for a lot of things. But, um, yeah, I really like Resident Evil 3, I think it's well worth the money. I have no problem with the value proposition, it's a thing that I will definitely play through it again, and I think the linear aspect of it the more action-based aspect of it gives it a nice it's a nice complementary experience to the other resident evil games if you want the slower pace more puzzly resident evil games you have those if you want a more action-based fast-paced uh high octane uh game full of set pieces and all that then you have resident evil 3 and people complaining about the action i'm pretty sure that it was an action game or more action uh like than the previous two games back in the day when they originally came out as well. So it, it doesn't seem like that's out of character for it, but yeah, I really liked it and I look forward to playing it some more and spoilers. It will be an attack the backlog episode because technically I bought it day one, which was a Friday and then I played it on a Saturday. So there's like 24 hours where it was in my backlog. And of course it's going to come out months down the line anyway, but am I cheating by making it part of my backlog? Yes, I am cheating. Do I care? No, but that's, that's okay. Cause it's Resident Evil three, baby. It's also, you know, it's technically like a 20 whatever year old game. So it's not, you know, it's a different version of it, but it's Resident Evil 3. I'm not saying which one it is, but you'll see it when you look at the pictures. You'll be like, oh, it's a new one. Anywho, in addition to Resident Evil 3, I played Convoy, a tactical roguelike, and Convoy is a tactical roguelike, and it's a game I really, really enjoyed. I was surprised by it, and it... It'll be a little hard to explain. Hopefully I do a, a decent enough job of explaining it. But the setup of the story is that you are in this spaceship and it crash lands on this planet. I don't think the planet is Earth. And you have to go around collecting resources in order to fix your ship so you can get the hell off this planet. And the way the game works is that you have an overworld view of the map and it shows you the terrain so you can see like okay this is like a mountain area and depending on the terrain you will move faster in your vehicle and on this overworld map you just see the one vehicle you don't see your entire convoy and you are maneuvering around the world looking for these items that you need for your ship or also discovering various points of interest whether they're other groups of people, some enclaves, maybe it's a, a temple-ish area or whatever that has artifacts that you can 
check and explore and, and take the you know that that may lead to bad things happening you could run into strangers people who may need help who look like they may need help but they could be setting a trap and then you can proceed with caution or kill them outright avoid them and you will run into bad groups as well who will attack you or try to get you to give them some of your resources in exchange for them not attacking you and stuff like that or come across camps that allow you to upgrade your vehicles or purchase new weapons, new vehicles for your convoy. And then when you're, and, and if you find other groups, they can send you on other uh, missions and, and quests that will help you gain currency that you use for upgrading your vehicle or purchasing stuff or uh, new vehicles by themselves, new weapon upgrades like that uh, as rewards. And when you end up in a combat scenario, the way it works is like a grid-based tactics game. You have your main convoy vehicle that is always in the middle of the screen. And that is the most important vehicle. That is the one you have to protect and keep from getting destroyed. And then you have your support vehicles. I think you always start out with two. You can add more. You can end up losing more. And the way it works is that you will be attacked by all sides from however many vehicles at, at any point. And you select one of your support vehicles, and then you'll see its range for whatever weapon it has. And then you can move it around freely on this grid place system and select one of the enemies for it to attack. And when it's in range, it will just automatically attack. If you're right next to an enemy vehicle, you double tap on it. Uh, and I'm playing this on Xbox One. Uh, you double press on the, the enemy, you will ram it. And this is something that will both damage you and the enemy vehicle, but you can use this strategically because say you are getting behind a vehicle, an enemy vehicle that is behind another enemy vehicle. If you ram into it, you can not only damage that vehicle, but push it into the other enemy vehicle and do damage to that. So you can do double damage in that sense if there is an environmental hazard because you will see indicators on the screen that, okay, there's maybe a mountain coming up in this space or maybe there's a building coming up here you can then push and or ram an enemy in the way of one of these structures and that will kill them instantly you also have to avoid those yourself which i learned the hard way i'm like what what happened to one of my vehicles it was it was here and now it's gone i didn't really pay attention to any of that i was just like okay i'm just focusing on all these enemy vehicles and then you know stuff came through some terrain stuff, altercations, some mountains and, and whatnot. And then I lost a, a vehicle and I was like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm very sad about this. But it uh, is a very simple uh, combat system in that sense that, that that's pretty much all you're doing. You control each vehicle individually. You have abilities as well, like EMP blast and stuff like that, which is assigned to the D-pad, which is the one frustrating aspect of the gameplay just because it is something I have to get used to still in that when navigating a, especially when you're looking at it from an over-the-top perspective, a, a grid-based uh, arena, a grid-based space, I want to navigate that with a D-pad because, you know, you're moving up, down, left, and right. You don't need 360 degrees of direction when navigating in those four directions. It makes so much more sense to just use a D-pad, but you can't do that here because the D-pad is uh, already occupied with other tasks that you, you you need it for. So that, that makes sense. It just is something that my brain still wants to use the D-pad. So I use the D-pad. I'm like, oh, that's right. I can't do it. And it's just the, the controls then are just not as tight as I would like. You know, just it just doesn't feel as right, but it is something you get used to. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's the basic crux of the game, the, the basic gist of it. You navigate the world on this overmap viewpoint, and you interact with people, and you have your little text bits of dialogue that can go in various directions. You can be hostile. You can be peaceful. You can be kind of standoffish and see how things play out in that sense. And then you can run into random encounters that can lead to attacks or can lead to good surprises, bad surprises, what have you. And you're just 
while all this is happening, going through the task of finding these, I think, four items for your ship so that you can repair it. And I think it's a, a fair amount of fun. I had a good time with it. And it's it's the kind of game that I'd like to just play here and there. It, it gives me those kind of Oregon Trail vibes and whatnot that I, I really like. And I'm not sure if it's on Switch, but if it is on Switch, it feels like a, a game that would feel very well suited for the Switch. Then I played Good Goliath, which is a PlayStation VR game. I'm sure it's probably on other VR systems, but I played it on PlayStation VR. I played it for maybe a half hour, and I was tired of it almost immediately. It got old very fast. It doesn't look too bad, but all you're doing in the game is catching shit and throwing it back. So you're in these little arena-like spaces. You're maybe in a town or whatever. You're this giant Goliath, and... People will be trying to hurt you by throwing pickaxes at you or barrels at you or uh, using a catapult to throw actual human beings at you. And what you do is you have your two hands, you're using the move controllers, and then you grab people or the pickaxes that they're throwing. You grab them out of the air before they hit you or, or you dodge. You, I mean, that's the basic gameplay aspects of the game. You dodge, you move your head to avoid getting hit, and then you catch shit. And then when the when you catch the shit, you throw it back at everyone. And that's all you do. It's really boring after five minutes, if even that. And I don't know if it really changes things up, but I don't feel like it is. Maybe the boss fights will be more interesting, but the basic levels are pretty boring. And that's too bad. I, I don't know what I was expecting. Because I, I, I watched some videos of it before trying it out and I was like this this looks like it could be cool but then in practice it, it wasn't all that enjoyable and I don't know my accuracy throwing the things I don't it was probably like 25% I, I'd actually hit or throw it where I want to throw one of these idiots the, the funnest thing was grabbing somebody when they sling or, or catapult the person at me and just have them held in my hand and just look at them and they're scared little eyes. And then they would just like magically disappear. And I'm like, oh crap, I didn't get to throw that. But yeah, that is good Goliath. Then um, played some Save Your Nuts, which is a game where you can play as squirrels and I think other animals. And you're, it's a party game for up to eight people. You can play with AI. Some of the fucking worst AI I've ever experienced in a game where they just stand around and do nothing or move at a snail's pace or get stuck on geometry way too often. Just incredibly terrible AI. But what you're doing is you have three modes. One that is just like collect as many nuts as you can before the game ends, before the time runs out. Uh, you have like little dog houses that you are taking the nuts back to. So you have that basic mode where you're just collecting nuts uh, as many as you can. One where you're trying to beat up the other players. So everyone has, I think, three balloons above their little heads. And for each successful hit someone takes, they will lose a balloon. And then it's just the last man, the last team standing. I think you can only have two teams uh, of up to four players per team. I don't think you can have like two. I, I don't think you can have more than two teams. And I don't think you can have like a free for all with four people. I think it's very much a team based game. So there's just two sides all the time. And then the last mode is similar to the first one, but there are only five acorns on any level, five nuts on any level, and you have to collect them all. And you can steal the nuts from the other person's house, their, their little dog house, and collect them that way. And that that was where the AI really stood out as being terrible, where I would steal something, and they, they just keep beating me up, and my AI partner would just, for the, that, that entire time, the AI partner did literally nothing. They just, like, stood in a place and did nothing, and then I keep getting beat up, and then one time I was able to, like, glitch out of there, and then the other AI was like, what do we do here? What do we? And I stole one of them, but overall it was just a really unpleasant experience. Titan Quest Atlantis is interesting. It came out on consoles recently, but... Unlike Ragnarok, which allows you to create a character leveled up for that experience, Atlantis is something that you can only experience if you've made a certain amount of progress in the main game. I think you have to make your way to Act 4, and 
because I didn't make that much progress in the main game, I am unable to play Atlantis at that at this point because when I first got a code for Titan Quest like two, I don't know, I don't think it was two years ago, but it was, it was a while ago when it first came out on consoles. It was so janky and unpleasant to play that I, I put it off. I like, I just said, you know, maybe I'll come back to this at some point. And I did not make anywhere near enough progress to get to the point where I'd be able to access Atlantis. And because of that, I just can't do it. So Obviously, I think these DLC packs, uh, packs, both Ragnarok and Atlantis, only really mean anything or matter to those who are diehard Titan Quest fans who have played the game and have already loved it, so they won't run into that problem. But if you're someone looking to jump into the experience fresh, then you should keep that in mind. You can access Ragnarok right from the get-go, but... Atlantis is something you'll have to wait to experience if you're starting a fresh game or a fresh character. And it's it's a bit pricey. I don't know how much they cost on PC and if there is a bundle pack on PC. But I, I'm pretty sure Atlantis is also 20 bucks, so it becomes a pricey experience when you have the main game by itself costing 30 bucks, and then the two DLC packs costing 40 putting at 70 total. And there's no... Titan Quest complete collection at this point or any kind of discount or bundle for the DLC so yeah and the the game in sp- overall you know just Titan Quest in general and like when I mentioned Ragnarok a few episodes ago it's still a bit of a janky experience and compared to other isometric action RPGs it just doesn't feel that good anymore and it's hard to recommend the Titan Quest games over contemporaries and games that are currently coming out now or even games that are like backward compatible like Torchlight or you know Torchlight 2 which is available on Xbox One or Diablo 3 of course uh, and stuff I've mentioned when I've talked about Ragnarok even like the Van Helsing games and what is it Victor Ran um, I don't know In, input any and I think they probably all feel better than Titan Quest at this point but um yeah, I also then played some Apex Legends. The new event is going on, which I don't remember what it's called, but it's all about Bloodhound, my main. So I am excited about that. But the event itself doesn't seem all that exciting. I think all it amounts to is changing between the two different maps every two or so hours. And maybe it's day or maybe it's night, which kind of cool, I guess. But that's all there is to it. Uh, you, of course can play in either trios or duos and duos is back for good which is nice but my buddy who i was excited to play duos with he almost immediately was like no i can't do duos i need a third to be support for me or to do a bit of damage so that i can come in and just be the support person for you as in me and the other person who's hopefully pretty good but um i've been enjoying it i guess but I'm I'm annoyed that there are two legendary skins for Bloodhound in this event. And I, I don't think in any other event that was based around a particular character that they ever had two legendary skins. They might have a legendary skin and a rare skin, but having two legendary skins that cost 18 bucks a piece annoys the shit out of me because I know I'm just going to have to get them because I love Bloodhound. You know, I, I put in so much time in this game that I don't mind supporting it and stuff in, in ways like this, but I just like... Why do you have to do this to me? Why do you have to have two legendary skins for this character, my main, of all the characters to do this with? It had to be with my main, which is annoying. But um, the legendary skins are at least fucking awesome. I really like the Wise Warrior, I think it was called. I like both of them, but I really like the Wise Warrior a lot. I, th- I think they both look pretty fucking awesome, though. And yeah. I still really, really like Apex Legends. There's about a little less than a month left for the current season. And it's funny how I, I was pretty into the, the ranked mode the first season. But ever since then, I kind of just haven't cared about ranked mode. Even though I think ranked mode has gotten better since then. The, the ranked mode in the first season was really bad. And, and maybe that's just the problem. It soured me so much that I was just like, I don't even want to bother with this anymore. But um, yeah. 
that's that's pretty much it in terms of what I've been playing and then what I've been reading about in terms of news and blah, 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 blah. So I think that will do it for this year episode of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Mark Krishnez. Y'all can find me on Twitter and pretty much everywhere at PX Sausage. The site is, of course, pixelatedsausage.com where you can find more podcasts like this, like Attack the Backlog, and unamazingly Baka coming to a podcast service around the globe soon like Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora, which is where you can listen to this show and attack the backlog right now. But you know, in the future, you'll also go to watch on Amazingly Baka. Watch to you listen to it. Anywho, if you want to watch stuff like Attack the Backlog, which does have its own video version and some video reviews and what have you, you can go over to youtube.com slash and watch a bunch of crap there. If you'd like to check out the art I make, which you can also call crap, and some people do, you can go over to pxsart.com and judge for yourself. If you see something you like and you're like, oh, this isn't crap. This is actually really, really cool. I like this. Click the link and it'll take you to where you can purchase a print of the piece you fancy. And if you fancy the site in general and anything that we do, please go over to patreon.com slash pxs and support us that way. As always, thank you for watching and listening. <sighs> no, you're not watching this show. But thank you for listening. If you are watching this, get out of my room. You guys fucking dirty, sneaky little bastard. Leave me alone. We're supposed to be distant right now. We're supposed to be socially distant, and you're in my room spying on me as I'm recording this podcast. Stop watching me. I guess you can watch me. Just don't touch me. If you're in like my closet right now, that's like over six feet away. So you can stay in there. Except that's where all my Blu-rays are. Don't touch them. I'm talking to you. Get away from my movies. Punk ass bitch. Uh-huh. That's what I thought. Anywho. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I hope you are staying safe and healthy and all that good jazz in these times. And, you know, we'll, we'll get through this. It'll get better. It will. I promise you. Anywho, that again will do it for real. So thank you for watching. You're not watching. I mean, you might be watching. Just don't touch my Blu-rays and don't touch me. Thank you for listening, though, and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day and an absolutely lovely weekend. Bye. Bye.